Amen, amen, amen. So today we're going to uh, talk about how to run your race. You run your race. Amen. Run your race. It's very important that we understand all aspects of Christianity. Years, you know, have gone since we thought we were just saved and that was a one-time activity. Remember, salvation at one point was everything. Are you saved or aren't you saved? Churches that taught salvation only or preached salvation only kind of took your salvation away from you for week to week and you had to get it back again somehow. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It, it was all, everything was pivoted around a salvation. Was it true or wasn't it true? Were you really or weren't you really? These things can only, these questions in our minds can only be answered through faith. You've got to receive what you get from God by faith. So the preacher who tells you because you did certain things you questioned your faith is not teaching you right. What they should be trying to tell you is to have confidence in that one-time confession. You understand what I'm saying? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have confessed your sins and accepted him as your Savior, you're saved. Let's move on to the next phase. So if they have no next phase to offer you, they've got to keep bringing you back to the first phase. So you get in churches that are more conscious of sin than they are of righteousness. Trying to figure out who's living right. You know, even in the church, people would, would uh, separate out. You know, certain people's kids, you if you called yourself a saved family, you couldn't play with them kids because their mother didn't live right or didn't look right. Or, you know, you understand what I'm saying. And so we, because we have not allowed ourselves to live as justified people, we have to live in this fictitious world of creating something to live for instead of getting out here and doing what God says and running your race. Now, if you're, you're told to run your race and run it with patience and all that kind of stuff, there must be something God's expecting from you beyond that one-time confession of salvation. So you've got to understand what your race is. You've got to understand that your race is specific to you. It does include some general things that God has spoken to all Christians and all believers. But what God has called you to do, only you can do. And your race must be run by you. Now, ministers can equip you for the race, can encourage you, can spur you on. We're the the, uh, trainers, so to speak. And sometimes the jockeys. If you need somebody to get up there and say, now, get on out there. There's nothing holding you back but your fear. We get, get over our fear by stepping out in faith. Get on out there and do what God called you to do. You understand what I'm saying? Or go ahead and, and ask God for that promotion. You know, you've been at where you're at long enough. If you feel it's long enough, it's long enough. So let's get up there and ask God for more. Use your faith in the word to run your race. The things that you accomplish in God are part of the race that you run. Your character in Christ is part of the race that you run. All of these things are very important. And we are running after them because they can get away from us so quickly. So that's why the Apostle Paul uses the terminology that he uses uh, when he begins to describe this life in Christ. It's not a sit-down life. It's a race. And we have to be equipped and we have to be trained and we have to be uh, fit for the race that we are called to run in Christ. 
So I was thinking when I was reading this in Hebrews 12, I thought about the uh, uh, movie Secretariat. And I had read, I read the book as well, and I, God had begun to speak to me about the body of Christ related to that movie. <clears throat> but ones of you who saw it and ones of you maybe who didn't was uh, the story surrounded a family, a horse breeding family, a Chenery family. And the father and the mother were elderly people, but their children had grown up, gone their separate ways. You know, there was nobody really living on that farm anymore. They had taken an interest in the horse farm when they were kids, but that was more or less mom and dad's thing. Until it came time for the children to have to get involved in uh, making sure that the family assets were distributed. And so that's how they got involved again in the family business. But Mr. Chenery would always teach, take his children around in the farm. And it seemed like the girl Penny was the one who was more interested. You know how sometimes when parents and children have um, kind of like similar gifts, traits or something, there's a connection that they can always make when they communicate about those things. They kind of have an enthusiasm about it. They kind of have an interest in him, and he could always connect with Penny when it came to talking about horses. And her father had a favorite saying where he would always tell when he would uh, uh, go among the horses and check them out and look for them, when they would begin to race, he would always pat the horse down and say, now you run your race. It was like the owner blessing on the horse is you run your race. And that's what God is saying to us. He's equipped us, he's, he's outfitted us, he's given us everything that we need, and he blesses us and say, now you go run your race. Amen. See, my race isn't yours. Yours isn't mine. We can help each other in that we have this in common. We are after the same goal, and that is attaining Christ. We are looking to grow in the stature of Christ. That's your primary goal here. People mistake and think it's soul winning, think it's ministry, think it's this, think it's that. We have all these lofty ideas about what God has in store for us, but we are to run our race, whatever that entails. And running a race is more in development and more in character, more in stamina, more in endurance than it is in sprinting, jumping out there, having a big crowd, winning a bunch of people. That's, that may be somebody else's race, but I'm telling you the most important thing that God's promised us is that we conform to the image of Christ. If you try and win a million souls and don't conform to the image, you have cheated yourself out of something and you will not be able to finish this race with endurance. You won't be able to complete it the way God wants you to. So the, the Chenery family had, you know, the famous horse that they had. None, none before like it or ever since was Secretariat. And it was, the, I think it was 76, won the Triple Crown the, uh, and won the last race, let me see, Belmont Stakes, by like 39 lengths. It's never been beaten before, never been challenged before that a horse outran. Well, it seemed like all the things for running a perfect race had come together in this one horse. The father was a, an expert horse breeder. 
And at that time, horse breeding was not as sophisticated as it is now. They weren't able to analyze the, the uh, DNA and, and genetic material in animals the way they are now. So this was some, somewhat of a new thing. But he had found a, a, another horse breeder that had a line of horses that he thought had quality in them. And he made an agreement with this gentleman that they would mate their horses together and then they would have a lottery for choosing who got which one and who got which one and so forth and so on. And so it just appeared that everything was going uh, to stop there because the old man was, was too old to get involved anymore. He was kind of getting a little dementia. And so when the daughter Penny was called to help out with this, she being the next generation kind of brought in a new understanding of how they could do things. And so their horse, Secretariat, became the first what they call syndicated horse, which means they sold stock in the children that that horse would bear in the future, setting them up for bazillions of dollars of money if the horse was a true winner, and this horse wound up being a true winner. So we know that to, to get a good horse, you've got to have good breeding. And how many of you know your bloodline is excellent? Amen. So there's nothing wrong with our breeding. You understand? We pass that test. The other thing is our training. How do we feed? What do we, we feed ourselves on? Some of us do more diligence than others to feed ourselves the word of God. But we're all available to good training in the word of God through feeding ourselves on the word. The other thing is good submission to authority. Now listen, a horse can't ride by itself. You've got to have a jockey on it. <laughs> you understand me? So many people in the body of Christ think that's not important. You know, it shocks me how many people will come out maybe to a healing school and they don't go to church at all. They sit at home and they watch Christian television and they think that's going to really get them over when that's just not God's way. He's, he, what do you think a church is for? It is for you to come on a regular basis. I'm shocked at how much God is able to do with us just in two days a week. Have you seen the hell sinners live in out there? You see the world they live in? Somebody was saying that the, the uh, uh, out of wedlock birth rate for African American women is up to 70% now. Seventy percent? You mean only thirty percent of people want to have a husband and a, a family and you know an intact family anymore? We don't want it because we don't want anybody telling us what to do. And we want to be free, what we call free. And it's nothing but the devil's bondage. It's a snare. But see, when you get into the household of faith, then God brings begins to groom you so that you begin to trust authority extremely important you've seen horses they start out in a corral and the first thing they have to do a trainer has to do is get a noose around the horse's neck and they fight like everything they don't want to be lassoed they don't want to be tied down they don't want to be but see, in order for the horse to survive there, there are not many places where horses can survive in the wild anymore so it's for mutual benefit of the horse and the owner, trainer, rider, whoever, 
that they come into agreement on how we're going to work this life that we have here. You're the horse. I'm the owner, the trainer, the jockey. We all got to work together to bring the best out of this animal, to allow this animal to run his race the way he was ordained to run his race. You're to run your race. You're, what you do is, is, is ordained from the foundation of the earth. This, this isn't something where God is looking at and seeing how you, how you do and maybe he can use you here. He's not compromising on what he's called you to do. He's not going to cut back on what he expects out of you. Are you kidding me? No more than a good horse trainer would cut back on what he expects out of that animal. Why should he expect less out of that when that, that horse has got good breeding? They feed him. He, he's of good health. They get veterinarians to come and give him shots and check him out and keep him in the best health possible. Why would they settle for less out of that animal? And how much more are we worth? See? How much more are we worth? But we've got to put ourselves through the same discipline. He goes, you know, rappers got better sense sometimes than we you know, we, we think all we need to get is a couple of scriptures and a plane ticket and we can go and take the world. Now tell me I'm lying because, don't tell me I'm lying because I've seen too many of them do it. See? Conquer the world for who? And for what? And what's going to be your prize? All you'll be able to say is I did so and so and I went so and so. Who did you affect for Christ? Who did you win? Huh? We'll go and get up in front of an audience and, and want to get a reputation and claim we're wonderful. That's right. And scared to lead your neighbor. Amen. Won't give the neighbor a couple of, won't even look at the shun the neighbor all your life thinking you better than they are. That's right. Huh? That's good, yes. Amen. See, our race is more about what God can develop in here than anything we do out there. Yeah. Out there will take care of itself. You understand me? All you do is find your perfect place out there where God has called you to be. But for the most part, your life is development in the Lord. Most of it is development. How do you, how do you trust him in your day-to-day life? How do you trust him with your finances? How do you trust him with your family? How do you trust him with your goals and your plans? How do you trust him with your future? See, that speaks volumes. That's really your witness. This stuff that we do outside of that really is, is more or less planting seeds. God's going to give the increase. But he's got to have somebody who's able to plant seeds for him. Do you see how many Christians are out there planting errant seed? Condoning homosexuality. Got people laying hands on them and they're not even ministers crying out loud. Never thought I'd never see that. Where the, the people who claim to have a reputation in God and claim to have a following and claim to be sincere ministers get up and play with the power of God in public like that. There's something wrong in their development somewhere. They missed a few classes. <laughs> huh? Should have been some place, one place and there were another. At a crucial time when God was speaking to them to develop something. 
that he needed them to develop because of the race that he had called them to run. Whatever God requires out of you, it's something that you need to be developed in so that you can run the race that he has called you to run. Horses at least can be disciplined. Now once you can get a saddle on them and you can get them calmed down and you can start to feed and you can lead them out and you can get them trained, you can get them to run around a track and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's a discipline that sets in. There's a memory that goes, they call it a muscle memory, from your brain to your muscles. They remember certain things and start to work together to coordinate your training. And so there should be something in believers where there's a spirit to the mind, to the mouth coordination. That we understand that when we receive the word of God on the inside of us and it begins to form in our mouths. It's in our mouth and in our heart, folks. Not just in your mouth trying to pretend to people you're something you're not. But it's in your heart and your mouth. You got me? That's the word of faith that we speak. You understand? It's It's sincere. And it's, it's for us to maintain our integrity in all things. You don't get around a bunch of sinners and start to dress in a lax fashion and, 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 and start to talk their jargon so you can be accepted by them. You've got too much inner development. God's put too much inside of you that's precious and worthwhile for you to let your witness be shot because you're too scared to say it in front of them stupid sinners. And if you're too scared to be a Christian in front of them, stay away from them. And cut that thing off at the nibs, man, and, and just pluck that off before it starts to get a, a grip on you. And you waste valuable time, you waste valuable energy, you waste valuable input that people of God have put in you. Because you still don't want to let go of that little bit that's like the world. You like to feed that. Horses eat what they're given. You see them going out. <laughs> I should talk, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They eat what they're given based on what those who are in have a, an eye for their future know what they need. See, you don't you don't give horses feed that doesn't complete them and help them to run stronger, be stronger, live longer. They not only have to live through the, the racing phase, which is a short phase. I think it's only like up to three years old. That's, but if they've got good genes, then they go on to reproduce after their own kind. You got me? That's what we do as believers. We reproduce after our own kind. God is helping us, developing us, feeding us the word so that we're equipped for every good work. We're outfitted to run our race. We're developed on the inside. He sends us around people, leaders who can recognize value on the inside of us and not play games with us. Yes. You got me? Yes. See, most people get played games with because they're gamers themselves. Amen. You tell them where a good church is and where they can get the word. They don't want to come. Well, see, if I go there, it ain't that many people. And they're going to gonna know when your shenanigans is. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> you're called to live in the straight and narrow you're not called to live in the broad way huh? any idiot can live for the world it takes a person with strength and backbone to live for God you don't live for God any old kind of way you live for God as a holy person a righteous person you do righteous things you live a righteous life 
Your life is not about you anymore. Ooh, let me have a drink. That went over real. I have to say that again. (laughs) But your life is not about you anymore. It's about what God has for you. It's a big difference. If your life is about you, you'll spend all your time trying to go get it yourself. Because you don't want God involved. See? People in the self-life, they don't, you know, if they get in trouble and no God can pull them out and somebody will pray for them, then that, you know, but for the most part every day, people don't want God in their mix. Not 24-7. You have to be dedicated to that. And you have to not get tired of it. You got to know it's a lifestyle. You got to know it's a good lifestyle. You can't do it in a religious way. It has to be done in a relationship way. Where you trust the God that you serve. In training horses, that trust factor is real big. People who don't, can't gain an animal's trust won't be good handlers. There are people, what they call horse sense. You know? They have a good sense about animals, especially how to approach them and train them. Secretariat had a gentleman that was a good handler, trainer, and they said he had excellent horse sense. He knew when a horse was ready. He knew when a horse wasn't ready. And he was always included in the decision making with that animal. Was never left out. Because you want, if you want success, you got to have as many people on your case with the right sense as you can get. You got me? Huh? And I'm not talking about everybody who's got an opinion about your life. I'm talking about people with good sense. With God's sense. People who value you. People who know your worth. People who have sown the word into your life. People who have watched you stumble and make mistakes and, you know, (laughs) poop in your feed box, so to speak. You know how we do when we do believers. Everything revolves around us and we don't care about anything except take care of me. But then once you get your needs taken care of, you begin to grow and develop. You begin to mature. To where you're concerned about the whole of what God has for you. Not just your little needs being. You get the fear off of you. And you begin to trust a little more. And so people with good horse sense are kept close around the horses. Because they can contribute a lot to them. Hmm? They can contribute a lot. And that's really the reason for spiritual authority. So you can grow and mature and be groomed to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Now leaders are human like anybody else. We get disappointed when we don't see growth. We get upset when we don't see growth. We get frustrated when we don't see growth. But then we can release that to the Lord and realize he gives the increase. You got me? God gives the increase. It's not my job to to get tired of you because you don't seem to grow as fast as I think you ought to. You got me? And it's not your job to do that with me. But it is God who gives the increase. So our faith mixed together supports our our desire to see increase in one another. And so the body of Christ grows to the stature of Christ. We begin to increase one another with the increase of God. 
And it's so that you can be successful in running the race that God has put before you. We know generally what you are to be doing. But we don't know the specifics of everything that God puts on your heart. What you're called to do depends on your gift. What God has placed on the inside of you. What are your abilities? We can train you in some certain basic things that we feel everybody can do. You know, for instance, when people come into this ministry, we don't have people sitting around waiting to, for us to figure out if they're going to be big givers before we give you work to do for God. I could care less about that because my money doesn't come from you necessarily. It's not even my money. It's God's money. And so it comes from the Lord. I'm too busy trying to be faithful for, with what he puts in my hand to worry about you. I know, though, that if you don't understand giving and receiving, you won't get much. So I got to teach you how to trust God with what he puts in your hands, you know. But it's up to you to carry that out. And so when we start to talk about building the body of Christ, it's a trust thing to where we have to trust that what the things that we are giving you and the things that we are trying to get you employed in will benefit you because they're necessary to your training. We could leave this meeting, we, we could leave every meeting and not feed anybody. You understand what I'm saying? But the Bible says that you need to be first given the hospitality. If you're going to be an overseer, you have to first be given the hospitality. Churches, is, it's kind of a, a known fact. When churches stop feeding people, they stop reaching people with the true word of God. Because people need to be touched. People need to be shown that they're valuable. People need to learn how to come into covenant with one another. They need to learn how to sit at a table and look each other eye to eye and start to find a kinship Instead of the old churches where you couldn't wait to get out of the building so you can talk about somebody. Amen? So in the community of faith, there are different things that we do to discipline people to God being a part of their lives and being concerned about every aspect of their lives. We have people that we give them one job when they first came here. It's 20 years doing the same job. We get people come here and do one job for three weeks and complain, and then you got to tell them don't do it no more because nobody can stand them running their mouth all the time. Negative. Who wants a negative person around them all the time? You understand what I'm saying? But see, if you're going to attain to something in Christ, you've got to be disciplined and trained to be able to do something. Often your greatest reward will do that which you despise until you don't despise it anymore and then begin to like it. There's several steps here. One is to not despise. And the other is to accept it. And the other last is to do it with joy. See, mature believers do things with joy. They're not looking to be lifted up or put down based on what they do. It's all working for God as far as I'm concerned. See? And you've got to live that. And see, you can say it and say it's right and agree with it. But when it comes to living it. Somebody put a broom in your hand or put some a toilet brush in your hand. That's when you live it. That's when we know. Huh? Somebody don't want to have the saddle put on them. Huh? 
They buck in the saddle again. They buck in the saddle. Sometimes you'll have to accept that this is important and necessary by faith. Because you will never on this side of glory see the importance of many things that you do in this in the natural. You're going to have to have a knower on the inside of you that knows when you're obeying God, knows when God's pleased with you, knows when you're doing as much as you can do. You understand what I'm saying? You've got to do that by faith, and that's your inside knower. You've got to know. Just like the racehorse knows when he's ready for the race. You know, they can put a saddle on him. He knows when to start. He knows how to speed up. He knows how to slow down. All of those things. They have to learn how to endure as well. And so when we talk about what we do here in the Lord, we are outfitting a body of perfected people to run a race with endurance. We are building you to last, not building you to fizzle out after a short sprint. Get winded and go somewhere and sit down and say, that's not for me. You understand what I'm saying? So you have to be able to live over the long haul living for God and doing the things that are right in his sight without stopping. No matter who you're doing them for. No matter who does what to you. You've got to still get up and do the right thing before God and make that important to you. That can't just be a side thing or something you do when you're in a good mood, but that has to be important to you. All the training, all the discipline that God puts us through is so that we can run our race and finish the course, run it with patience, run it with joy, run it the way Jesus would, would have us run it. He's, he's got to feel good about us down here. He's got to feel that we're a good match for him, that we're doing the things that, that the way he would have us to do them and the way he would do them if he were here. That may sound like a tall order, but thank God he don't give you a lot to do every day. You understand what I'm saying? Your opportunities for ministry, how often do they come? You're not 24-7 preaching to people and stuff like that. He knows what we can take. So most of what we are doing is developing. Very little are we doing it for, well, of course, if you're, if you're a preacher and you do that as a life call... You've got a, a different development of, of gift in your spirit. Preachers have, say, whereby in a believer's spirit, preaching is maybe 5 or 10%, you know, sharing what you know about God. And a preacher is more like 60 or 70. Preachers have very little left for, I mean, you have just enough. Huh? They have one or two kids, they have a husband, and you know what I'm saying. Get that in. And then the rest of it is devoted over into ministry. You ask any preacher. They'll get up. The preachers will preach in a minute's notice. We don't have to even prepare. We say we do. To keep people from taking. Yeah, nobody likes surprise. We say we do. But we can preach at the drop of a hat. Huh? Somebody was telling me. You know when my husband was still alive. We would go to little a little uh, party here and there. I never wanted to go, but I always told God, I said, well, I'll leave it up to him. I said, I'll be natural. I put on my natural self. We went somewhere and somebody offered me some wine. I said, honey, I'm a preacher. I said, I drink that. I will be here until three in the morning. 
Y'all will not like it. <laughs> I'm being preached. Y'all save, send you to hell. Preach you save, send you to hell. Preach you save. Send you. I'll get real Baptist on you if I get that stuff in me. But you know what I'm saying. That that takes an abundance of your spirit is devoted to that because that's your full time job. Where you would be a an administrator, a teacher, a secretary. We got preaching us. So that takes up the majority. Of that in us. So we have to make sure that we develop our natural side or our, our everyday life side. But you keep developing yours, and those opportunities to preach will come here and there. Here a little bit, there a little bit. God would use you. He'll use us more if we'll ask Him and set aside that time with Him and be more attentive to what He wants us to do. So God is preparing us to run our race, your specific race that you are called to run. So in Hebrews, that was my intro. In Hebrews, <laughs> in Hebrews chapter 12, in, in chapter 11, it talks about uh, what, what many preachers call the Hall of Fame of Faith, talking about all the great people mentioned in the Bible who have gone before us. We call them great, but they were normal, everyday people that served a great God. They had an opportunity to be obedient to God, and when they did, they came through for God. And that's what God wants us to do in running our races, to come through for him. And so it says in 12 verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So here, the writer gives the impression that we are in what, what the, the uh, um, culture that he lived in at the times was probably a theater or a coliseum. So if you look at us as being on the arena of the Colosseum, running our race, doing our thing, living for God, preaching the gospel, witnessing, whatever it is. You see above us a gallery of all of these people that we read about in the Bible who are watching us. And the Bible says we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So it's now our turn to do what they did. To run their race. They ran their race and they've retired from it. And now they're in heaven and they watch us and they observe what we do. Because the Bible says we're one family in heaven and in earth. There is an awareness of what goes on in earth in heaven. Not to the degree that we would have it. But but there is a degree of understanding of when the body of Christ will, will unite with the Lord. They're anticipating the next phase of, of the reign of Christ. They're anticipating seeing loved ones come to heaven. They're anticipating all of these things because they are witnesses who have completed their course, kept the faith, and finished the race. And so we need to, as Paul is saying, he uses these analogies sometimes, to draw people into understanding what he's talking about. In the time where he lived, um, they had Olympic Games. In first fact, they were the, what they call the ancient Olympic Games, the first ones that they had. Um, my understanding, they only had five events, but they were doozies. You got me? Uh, they had wrestling. Of course, you've seen pictures sometimes in, in your history books when they would go through the, the early, uh, like the Greek 
in Roman times, you'll see wrestlers. And you see those, and, and there'd be carvings of them on different buildings, so forth and so on. So they had wrestling. They had running. That was a very common race that they had. They had professional runners who would take messages for kings. And then that's where the idea of the relay race came from. You know, handing off the baton. That was handing off the message to the next messenger. And if it was an important message, you see the next guy start running before the guy handed it. That was typical of what they did. That was a real, real event or real uh, employment of the runners that they did during those times. So this cloud of witnesses is observing us. And so the Bible tells us, gives us some, some instructions. He says here, because we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, because they're looking on, I think it's also because they finish what they've done and we know we can accomplish the same kind of things that they did. We can accomplish what Abraham and Sarah did. We can accomplish what Gideon did. We can accomplish what David did. We can accomplish all of them. And we think those are extraordinary people because we see the extraordinary things they did. But they are witnesses that did the same thing that God expects us to do. You can be the Gideon of your neighborhood. You can be the David of your generation. You can be any of those individuals if you'll let God develop you and see yourself as triumphant and finishing the race that he set for you. All you've got to do is see yourself accomplishing what God says you can accomplish. You've got to put total trust in him. You can't shortchange him on anything. You can't tell God, uh, you know, you can't do something and that be your final answer. You've got to trust that God can equip you to do these things. You've got to trust that it doesn't take somebody else, something, somebody with something you don't have to do what he calls you to do. You've got to understand he called you knowing what you bring to the table. And he expects you to trust him to develop you and train you and get you to where you need to, do, to go so that you can do these things. See, you've already proven that that's true to some degree. Everybody sitting here never thought you'd be working for God for as long as you've been working for God. And still want to work for God. As much as the devil has come against you, as much as people, your little friends tell you, you, you got it, you can't never have a Saturday off. Take one off and see how you feel. I had to. I was so glad for the next Saturday to come so I can get back to doing what I normally do. You understand me? That's not like a, a, a real vacation. This is like them trainers, you know, the, the bodybuilders. They die to get in the gym. I don't know how that happens to people. <laughs> but that ain't my race. You know, that's what they're called to do. Huh? But they miss a training. They count up their hours and minutes in a week. If they miss so many reps and something, they hit them the next time. They, they double up on what they miss when they miss something. Because they know what's it, what it's going to cost them if they miss that training. They know what it's going to cost them if they miss that training. God knows what you have. He knows what he can do with what you have. You don't know most of what you have. I'm going to say it again. You don't know. You're the one who's in the dark. 
about what you possess. Huh? It'll never come out until you give God freedom to do what he needs to do with you. Huh? Let him put the harness on. Let him put the saddle on. Let him get you restricted so that you can only do what he wants you to do and see what he will develop out of you. I remember challenging myself to pray in tongues more often when it was never a thing. I never thought about it. I prayed in tongues all the time. And then I realized I was having a hard time (laughs) getting back. You understand? Never should have left to be. That's the first thing your brain tells you. You know what? If I kept it up, I wouldn't be struggling like I am right now. I never should have left that place of not doing what I know I should do in order to keep myself strong in my spirit. And so these are the things that you you understand. And God will make up for them. You repent and God will get you back in the race. He'll help you to get yourself re-equipped to do what he wants you to do. Praise God. So he says here, because we have these witnesses. Witnesses because they testify that this is doable for the normal average Christian person. And that's me and you. He said, let's do this. Lay aside some stuff. Don't indulge in some stuff. Let some self-stuff go for the greater purpose and greater cause. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so, so easily besets us. I was shocked how quick I just put off praying for a few hours during the day. You understand what I'm saying? Easily can slip off. And, and that used to be my life, you know. And he says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Every, Every runner had a set lane that they ran in. He had to perfect how to get around that lane, how to get around the obstacles. A sprinter is different from a hurdler, that kind of stuff. And so we can't run each other's races. You've got to run the one that's set before you. Sometimes you can encourage people in running their race. You know, as a minister, I observe people and I can see different gifts and abilities and and things like that in people. And and when they struggle, I can say, well, you're good at so-and-so and so-and-so. Why don't you just trust God to develop that more in you so that you can come forth in a greater measure? You can always help people like that. There are some people who are, are excellent at when they meet people, they can, can bring correction to them in a way that you would never expect that person could be corrected. I can remember when I was a teenager, I was uh, pressured by some peers, you know, and, uh, you know, thought I had a boyfriend. And I was remembering this woman, I remember saying that to somebody, and this lady looked at me, and I didn't know her from anybody. And she said, you got no business saying you don't want a boyfriend. You don't want nobody like him. And it was over. You got me? And it wasn't my mother either. You understand what I'm saying? This was a total stranger that God used to bring correction to me. And it was godly correction and godly wisdom. And when I obeyed it, I found I was back in my right mind doing what I was supposed to do. And I wasn't a teenage casualty. It's worth every word she said. You got me? There are some people in the body of Christ who are excellent at doing that. And they're not malicious. 
And they're not mean and they're not trying to offend anybody. They just see value and worth in you and they want to guide it in the right direction. You got me? Very important to know. See, they got a little pity pat because people don't, they don't think God raises up people like this to help you stay in the race. They want to see you finish. They don't want to see you be a casualty. They want to see you run this race, finish the course, and get the prize that God has for you. A lot of this stuff, you know what? People don't like hearing this sometimes because it's got nothing to do with money. And it's got nothing to do with power. And it's got nothing to do with the me side of people. This has to do with the side that's important to God. You got me? This is important to God. When Jesus says, I have a bride down there that I've adorned. He's talking about your inner character. He's talking about who you are on the inside. Not talking about the outside. He could care less about. The Bible says the outer man is perishing. Now I try to fix my... Sometimes it obeys, sometimes, you know, we just get there, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I think to myself, why go through the trouble so much? You know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously, you think about it, and and like, who would I be fooling? You know, if I got a facelift and started looking 30 all, who would I be fooling? Especially when it takes... Two hands and four people to get me up out of a chair when I'm chair. Come on now, who am I fooling? You can. What am I gonna do to get a uh, be a buyout? I'll be the first bionic Christian. Replaced all my parts. You know they say she looking good, but man, it took her five hours to get up out that chair to get up on the pulpit. Better come early and bring a lunch. Come on, yeah, we can do better than that. We can do better than that. Jesus wants a bride who's adorned with all the inner beauty that he likes to observe. We're being groomed for him, not for the world, not for ourselves, not even for a spouse, you know, or man or a woman, whoever you married to. You know, in Christianity, we've got to have the opposite sex. Please don't get that started around here. <laughs> You know what I'm saying. I'll go back to being Catholic or something. I don't know what I do. But you know, I got something to hide there. But in running our race, we're being equipped. We're being trained. We're being outfitted with precious things. Things that cannot be bought, you know, with a credit card. Things that we don't have to go into natural debt for. We're we're being adorned with precious things just by going through our paces. Nobody believed Secretariat would be the horse. They knew he was a great horse, but they didn't think he would be the horse he turned out to be. Huh? Because when he was training, some of them called him fat. Some people called him, some of the trainers called him awkward, all that kind of stuff. Kind of laughed at when he first started training. But under the right people with the right horse sense. You hear what I'm saying? The right people with the right sense about God. There's a lot of people out there who would love to have you in their numbers, love to have you a part of what they're doing, but do they have the right sense for what God wants you to do? That's what you've got to decide. 
God will lead you to the place where you're fed, where you're watered, where you're refreshed, where you can grow, where you can be nurtured, you can be corrected, you can stay on the right road, you can develop into something that he's proud of. Not to be a statistic someplace else. So he says, lay aside the weight, just like a runner. You know, they're always trying to develop the perfect running outfit now for people, or perfect athletic outfit that will allow them to have the greatest results in their game. And they've changed over the years. You know, over many, many years, these things have changed. And you, you don't anymore want to try to run your race burdened down with cares and worries and worries about self and well, if I do this, are they going to let me do that? You know, sometimes people get in, in church situations and try to figure out how to get ahead of everybody else. And they, they, they kind of budget their time and their energy to see if it's going to get them where they think they want to go. I remember many years, someone, uh, was when we first got started, someone uh, kept trying to get in the pulpit. You know, so of course, when you're a woman, you kind of are sensitive sometimes, too much so. But most of the time, you're pretty accurate, yeah. because many times we people see a woman doing something, they think it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> or we cheapen something based on how we value the person in that role. And this person kept standing at the pulpit whenever I wasn't there. And they sat on the front row, you know, and they'd jump up there and get up there. And I, I was looking at them one time. I said, you know what? I said, that may seem like a short distance to you. I said, but it's a long way from the front row to the pulpit. I said, and God has made that way for you if that's for you. I said, so if that's for you, God will get you there. But it's not as short a jump as you think it is. Amen? And it isn't. And if you're not called there, I don't care how froggy you get. You can hop as high as you want to, but you ain't going to land up in there. Not with God helping you, you won't. You'll be up there like some of these preachers we see with a lot of big flowery words. And, you know, you can feel in the atmosphere there's a lot of emotion running people and all that but when they get sick where's the power of God to heal them see this is what you want you want the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit like Paul said when I came to you I didn't come to you with great swelling words of man's wisdom I came to you in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit that's what you want you want the demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost them words can keep you hanging on for years Expecting God to do something that he never promised you he's going to do. But you want what you want from God because he's promised it to you. So Paul says this, just as a runner keeps his eyes focused forward to the goal line. Runners are always focused ahead. They're not looking behind them to see all the wonderful things they did yesterday and pat themselves on the back. And they're not looking off to the side to see what somebody else is doing that they think they want to do. But he says, looking unto Jesus. He's the author and the completer of our faith. That's the one you keep your eyes on. You find out what he wants you to do and you get to doing it. And you'll be the most... 
disciplined person. You'll be the most contented person. You'll be the most joy-filled person because your eyes are focused totally on him. When Christians mess up is because we get eyeballs wandering off. You grow eyes in the side of your head trying to see what somebody else has got that you think you like. Huh? See, people who do that don't really trust God. See, if you're always looking to imitate what somebody else has because you think that's the ultimate, you haven't really touched God. Because anytime he speaks to you, it's you know when God first told me I was called to preach, he told me this. He said, if you stay with me, he said, get your information from me. Period. Now, people, I've been accused by people of not wanting friends. Well, if you bring me one, I'll accept you. Anybody can pal up with a critic. See, it's because people can't get you on a level where they can get your attention long enough to get you involved with with what they do. Why you want me involved in your mix, I don't know, because you don't really want me involved. (laughs) In fact, we do well to keep things the way they are, nice and polite. You understand what I'm saying? But God shared with me, he said, if you will trust me in all things, where you get your information from, where you get your direction from, where you get your leading, your feeding, I always had a policy if people came up to me with something out of nowhere, I knew it wasn't God. Because I got sense enough to pray for what I need. If it's an answer to prayer, I'll receive it. But don't come up to me with something out of left field. You tell me it's God. See, we're going to have a fight there for a minute. Because if I haven't prayed for that and he isn't sending it to me, I don't have to receive it. People get in a lot of trouble. Remember Gehazi? Huh? And he had been under the prophet for years. But see, if you if he didn't get to the chapter on you don't take personal belongings from a leper because they're full of his infection. See, he hadn't read that chapter yet. And he thought he knew as much as the prophet did. So when Naaman and his boys was pulling off with all that gold and silver and clothes and purple and all that. And Gehazi ran after him and said, you know, my master changed his mind. We do want some of that stuff. The first thing that Elijah said to him was, is it time to take a gift? See... Running your race will keep you understanding what it's time for you to have in your life. Maybe it ain't time for you to have wealth and riches. Maybe it's not time for you to have a bunch of money. Maybe it's not time for you to have a brand new car with a thousand dollar a month note. Them notes as big as houses. You might as well move in that bad boy. Because you probably soon will have to. (laughs) 
See, if you focus on running your race, you will know what it's time for in your life. Because you know what your faith can pull in. Huh? You get to tugging on that thing and trying to get it in your garage. And <clears throat> that rope will snap and you be have your feelings hurt. Hmm? Try to blame God. But if you understand about running your race and how precious it is to God when he looks down here and see people who are content living for him. Let his contentment be your contentment. People get in debt because they're, they're not contented with what they have. If you let his contentment be your contentment, you'll never be in debt. Huh? Mm-hmm. My husband was very disciplined in his spending. Now, women have another word for it. We have several, but some of them I can't even say here. But Tight, cheap, <laughs> squeaky. <laughs> but he was disciplined. And we found that we could be content no matter what we had. Shocked us. Totally shocked us. We didn't have to look for a paycheck. Well, number one, it was only coming once a month. Why they put us people on that kind of thing, I don't know. But to keep us out the bars, out the liquor stores. Because you know that's where y'all folks, I grew up in a household when they got the paycheck, they stopped at the liquor store on the way home. It was a big celebration. That's why on Monday, you was hungover, broke, busted, disgusted, and didn't have nothing to pay your bills with. So God removed that temptation from us. And we began to live like heirs. You know what an heir is? An heir knows that he has access to anything he needs to make his life complete, but he doesn't have to have it all within his grasp all the time. That's part of what God wants to adorn us with. A confidence in him that if we will stay focused on running the race, stay focused on what does he want me to do for him today. Stay focused on making yourself available to serve the master. What is, God, what do you want done today? What's going on in your kingdom today? Who has a need today? Am I the one to help fit that need, Lord? What is that? What, what are you up to? What's pleasing you today, no matter where it is in the earth? One of the greatest gifts God gave me was the desire to pray for people. If you enjoy praying for people, you will understand that that is a, a ministry that's very content to have no, uh, no outward appearance of anything important. You understand? What? It's, a, it's an undercover, it's a behind the scenes, it's a very humbling kind of situation because I enjoy praying for people and seeing them getting their needs met. And many of you do too. You're very content to do what God wants you to do on behalf of other people. 
that was a that's a great joy to me because I see how many people get derailed when they don't like to work for God behind the scenes. They got to be up front on blast all the time, talking nonsense, and ain't doing nothing. Huh? We got big preachers that fall because they never made a commitment to go home and sleep in their own bed every night. My dog has more sense than that. And see, we think that we're doing great things for God when we've stepped out of our race and now we're just out there doing whatever we want to do. They're not even in the race anymore and could care less about being in there. we got to care about that, folks. Lay aside self. Lay aside what you think you're supposed to have. Gets more people in the trouble. That's why people rob. That's why they steal. Because they think the world owes them something. Like they're supposed to have certain things. They see other people with them and they think automatically, well, I'm supposed to have that. And they go after it. Instead of staying in the harness, staying in the discipline, letting God train them and develop them. What he has for you is so much greater than what he gave anybody. You know why? Because it's for you. You don't want what somebody else has. You don't want some warmed over ministry. You don't want some warmed over clothes that they're sick of. You don't want some warmed over life. You don't want their mistakes. You don't want their troubles. You don't want their bills. You don't want their headaches. You want what God has for you. And we've got to discipline ourselves to that and realizing how valuable, if you knew how valuable you were to God, you keep your eyes fixed straight ahead, looking unto Jesus, who is the one. He started this. He found you when you felt like a nothing and a nobody, because if you felt like somebody, you never would have invited him in. And he found you there. And he began to treat you with dignity and treat you with respect and treat you with love and treat you with honor. Treat you like you were going somewhere important in life. Not so you can throw it all away when you get tired of that and you want to run on to something else. But he continues to treat us that way because of the high value we have for him, in him, and what he wants us to accomplish on this earth. We need to understand our race, folks. We need to understand what we're here for. Because a number of people falling away, the great falling away is, is happening. Because we got people we never thought. We thought they were more committed than that. You know, you see people mess up and you say, Dang, I thought they were more into it than that. My goodness. What happened? What happened was they kept, took their eyes off of what God had for them. Somehow that stops being enough. You know, they have certain ways to treat horses when they, when they can't focus. You know, they'll say, oh, yeah, you've got to put them blinkers on him. They can't look from side. To, they can't do anything. You got, Man, that horse will never run if you don't put them things on him. And that's what this says. Looking unto Jesus. Don't look at what your neighbor has. Don't look at what the next preacher has. Don't look at what, what you think you're supposed to be doing by now because you've been saved for so long. You look unto him. 
find out what you are in him what he's got for you what he wants you to do and put the other stuff down quit needling him about what you think you don't have yet Hmm? Christ is not betrothed to a nag we're faith women and men we accept what he says we trust him to bring it to us and we don't quit going on and on and on about we're supposed to have this huh these things can cause us to to the supposed to's and ought to's huh what you ought to have God gets it to you on time He's not late in anything that he's promised. He's on time with everything. And for some of us that that know faith real well, we can get it a lot earlier. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He'll even trust us that way. I've seen him bless people just on their word that they were going to sow something. You understand? Integrity. He likes to trust people like that. But God wants us folks to be conformed to his image. I don't care what you ever do in life, but if you're the type of person who can keep that first commandment, you can love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you've got it made as far as he's concerned. That's the ultimate. If he can get you disciplined in that, then he can use you and use you to his glory. Why don't we stop? Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us understanding of our race with you, how to run this race with patience how to finish the course and we're finishing every day lord there's a finish line that we have to cross today to accomplish what you give us today every day is a finishing in you and we thank you for the ability the knowledge what we need we're equipped for every good work as we focus on jesus and we thank you for it lord in jesus name amen praise god anybody need prayer come on up and i'll pray for you